You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about our church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. All right. Now, back into the book of Acts for this morning. Um, We are continuing on in our sermon series, The World Turns Upside Down. We were kind of digging, as I was digging into Acts 8, um, some questions kind of came to mind, at least, at least for me. Um, since the creation of the world, mankind has been set, obsessed with the noble search for God, right? Or the non-existence of God. The question is often asked from one generation to the next, like, who is God? Who is God? That question penetrates the mind of the least to the greatest, right? You got the philosopher asking the question, like, who is God? Then you have the scientist, right? The preeminent scientist trying to wrestle with that question. Different fields, same question. We got atheists who make faith claims about the non-existence of God. Muslims make their own claim about who God is. It's a question many of you have wrestled with. I know it's a question I personally wrestled with before being saved by the grace of God. Who is God? Any journey to find the answer to the metaphysical question, who is God, requires knowing where to begin. Like you ask the question, that's one thing, but then you start pulling on that string and you're like, where do I even begin in trying to answer that question? Where do I go? Where you begin oftentimes presents the path forward. For a variety of reasons, some obvious and some not so obvious, I think Christians must be ready to help a person answer the weighty questions about God. We have to be ready to listen, for sure. We've got to be ready to listen. We have to be ready to speak graciously. We have to be ready to show from where and why we believe Jesus is the Son of God. Without seeing the question directly asked in Acts, the answer has been given over and over again, right? We've seen it in speeches. We've seen it um, basically from chapter 1 all the way up until today. We've seen the answer. And as we continue our journey through the book of Acts, and as we see the kingdom of God advance, the gospel is going to continue to be proclaimed and the answer is going to be provided. Who is God? We've got an answer. We have been stirred by biblical speeches from Peter and Stephen. Last week we saw how Philip broke cultural and racial barriers by taking the gospel outside of Jerusalem and into Samaria. This morning we see Philip doing more of the same, but instead of a speech, that's what we've been seeing, right? Instead of a speech, Philip's interaction is personal. It's very personal. Uh, he speaks face to face. It's like you go into a cafe, you got a cup of coffee, and your friend's on the other side of the table, and they're having a conversation. And there are some questions the person behind the table at the coffee shop has for Philip. What we're going to see from Holy Scripture is God has given you everything you need, Christian, 
to labor with a family member who's trying to figure out this thing called Christianity. God has given you every tool you need to answer the question from a skeptic, right? Plenty of skeptics out there. God has given you the tools to answer that question from that skeptic. God has given you everything you need to speak truth to a person who's just simply wandering in darkness. Listen, the kingdom of God advances not because of a few pastors, but from God's chosen people. You. We see from the second half of Acts 8 that God has given you the Holy Spirit and his word to help you answer some of the most profound questions that this world has ever known. He's equipped you. How does that make you feel, knowing that God has equipped you? How does it make you feel that God has empowered you and equipped you to answer some of the most profound questions? Here's a bit of context to help, to help us understand our, our passage. The outward movement to answer the question, who is God, is being pushed out to the world, right? We saw that last week. The, the gospel movement beyond the Jerusalem walls is the fulfillment of what Jesus said right before he ascended into heaven. I should have, I should have quoted this last week. I'm doing it right here. And Jesus said in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea. And where were we last week, right? Samaria. And to the end of the earth. So last week we read that Philip went to Samaria. Many were saved as a result of God using Philip in his ministry. There's no suggestion from the first half of Acts 8 that the Samaritans were looking to answer the question, who is God, right? They had their own answers. They weren't asking the question. Philip simply took the answer. (laughs) Here's what you need to know. Philip went and he upset the apple cart. And we see what God did. The story today is a little bit different. After his ministry in Samaria, it says an angel of the Lord tells Philip to go to Gaza. So Philip traveled north. Think think of Jerusalem in in the middle here. And and Philip goes north to Samaria, does the ministry. Then God's like, now I need you to go south on the road to Gaza. And I got more ministry for you to do. And in this particular road, if you keep taking it south... Goes through Gaza into Egypt and all the way to Ethiopia. From these two stories in Acts 8, I want to show you a particular characteristic of Philip that I, I think we can learn from. Philip was sensitive to the, like, to the internal subjective guidance of the Holy Spirit. Philip's ministry to Samaria was led by the Holy Spirit. And then we read how the Spirit gave Philip specific instructions so he can, so he can minister to this Ethiopian eunuch. This guy just traveling south. The Spirit was guiding his evangelism and fueling his love for others. He had the answer to the most pertinent questions and he was going to share it. 
we will clearly see this as we walk through the text, but hear what Pastor Kent Hughes says about this particular passage in Philip. It does little good to be in touch with the Spirit and the Word if we're not in touch with people. If Philip had not loved people with Christ's love, he would never have reached across the substantial barriers between Samaritans and Jews. And I'm talking about racial barriers and ethnic barriers. It was the same with the Gentile Ethiopian. Philip loved Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, whites, blacks. It made no difference. He was in touch with people and genuinely cared about them. If we want to help others address the most profound questions about God, we need to first love others as Christ loves them. And then be led by the Spirit and then be ready to show from the Scriptures, this is, this is what I know, this is what I have for you. Take, eat, drink it in. On the road to Gaza, Philip literally runs to this Ethiopian eunuch, verse 30. Now, here are a couple notes about this individual. Um, that is the Ethiopian eunuch. A eunuch is a male who castrates himself, thus removing any sexual desire. Now, it's a little foreign, right? Um, super strange, but not so strange in antiquity. Oftentimes, eunuchs were servants to women, and this was especially the case with royalty. The idea being a king can put a eunuch in the service of a queen or a princess, whoever, with little worry about infidelity. It's like, we're good. <laughs> you go take care of the queen. We're straight. It was also not uncommon for eunuchs to be given great responsibility because of loyalty and service, which is the case with the eunuch we read about in Acts 8. It is likely this Ethiopian eunuch, a black a black individual, was considered a noble in the service of Candace. Candace is simply this royal name that existed at this time during, um, during in Ethiopia during this time. Excuse me. He was basically the guy in charge of all the queen's money. So he was like the financial advisor and he was the bank. One final biographical detail about this Ethiopian eunuch is that he was likely a Jew. Um, it says in verse 26 that he was going south, away from Jerusalem, where he had worshipped. And he was probably heading back to Ethiopia, on this road to Gaza, to Ethiopia, which is, as many of you know, located in northeast Africa. As with the ministry to the Samaritans, Philip was called to take the gospel beyond, beyond his comfortable limits, right? His love for others trumped his personal comfortability. And how did Philip engage this man in a conversation? Like, how did this whole thing kind of happen? Well, first we read, as I already mentioned, he was led by the Spirit. There's verse 29 and verse 30. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. For, for a moment, try to picture this in your head, right? We got like a chariot, and then the picture I got in my head is like a tricked out Amish horse and buggy going down the road, and then the Spirit tells Philip, run up to the, to the chariot. Go get it. I mean, does that happen to you? Not me. But the Spirit told Philip to do it. 
I don't know how fast the chariot was going. Could be going at jogging speed. That would have been my preference. Regardless, it's encouraging to see Philip obey the Spirit without asking questions, right? It's not like Philip's like, I got to phone a friend to figure this out, right? He didn't put up a poll on Facebook or Twitter and say, do I go to the chariot? Do I think about it further? Or do I just ignore the Spirit? And, you know, everyone got to pick on the poll, right? He didn't do any of that. He didn't stop to ponder. He heard the Spirit speak, and Philip simply obeyed. Now, think with, me, think with me for a moment. Has the Holy Spirit ever given you direction, but you've pushed back against God? There's a sermon to be preached from Acts 8, verse 29, alone. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit, with God, the Holy Spirit, is not only about what he provides. The Holy Spirit comforts. He brings peace. The Holy Spirit reveals more of Christ to our hearts, right? But it is also about how we respond to the Holy Spirit. And I fear that too many times we focus on the former, what we can receive, and not much on the latter, what we're called to go do. Too many times we hear the subjective voice of the Holy Spirit, but are unwilling to move forward in faith. One of the daily challenges Christians face is not only to listen to the Spirit, but receive His teaching. Listen, the Holy Spirit continues to teach us and remind us of the teachings of God, right? Note this from John 14. Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus not only told the disciples what to believe, but how to live. And Jesus said, Hey guys, guess what? I'm not going to be here forever. And when I leave, you are going to share this gospel message on my behalf. Think about Acts 1.8, which I already quoted. Think about Matthew 20.28. And it's the Holy Spirit who empowered and taught them to go and continues to empower and teach us to go. Go. So a challenge I want to present to all of you and myself is that if the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something and it squares with Scripture, right? It's clear this is consistent and conforms with what God has revealed to us in His Word. If the Holy Spirit is giving you direction, do it. Do it. When we obey the Spirit, amazing things can happen. And God is glorified by your obedience. When Philip obeyed the Spirit, a life-altering conversation took place. The conversation between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch shows us how to address the question I posed to you at the beginning of this sermon. We'll get to the answer by following four questions that are asked between Philip and this eunuch. Um, Philip asks the first question, and then the eunuch asks the next three questions. So let's go through them one by one. After Philip catches up with the chariot, 
he asks, do you understand what you're reading? Right? So the Spirit led him to the chariot, and then he asked that question. Do you understand? Now this is the right question by Philip. He clearly sees uh, this individual, this Ethiopian eunuch, reading the Old Testament. He is certain that in God's providence, God has him there to minister. Philip wants to make sure his new friend knew what he was reading, right? Basic questions like this can draw out a person who is in search for answers to big questions. Do you understand? Recently, I've been going through the Psalms with my kiddos. Um, we've gone through plenty of kids' devotional books before. Decided to you know, kind of pause on those, mix it up a little bit. Let's do Psalms. Let's just go through it. Kind of going through it one by one, right? Um, the kids and I sit on the couch. I read to them a psalm. And then after I read, I ask them, <laughs> they were here though, a little agree, can you tell me or make one observation about what we read? Just give me one observation, right? Depending on the psalm or the attention span of the kids, I can receive a Christ-centered answer. I've gotten that before. I can receive the let's get this over with answer. <laughs> that certainly is the case. And there are other times I get this, Dad, I don't understand what this is saying. Dad, can you help me understand what is being said in this psalm? When this question is asked, there is a distinct opportunity for me to disciple my kids through God's word. Yeah, let's talk. So when that question comes up, I mean, I am on it. <laughs> You can do that with a friend, a family member, a curious coworker, guy next door. Philip's icebreaker question led to the same curiosity by the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch responds with his own question: How can I? Right? So first question: Do you understand? Well, how can I unless someone guides me? Now, we can see this second question connects with my example about discipling my kids through going through, by going through the Psalms. The Ethiopian wanted to know. He can read the words on the page. If you notice that, he, he can read it. But he still doesn't know. He needed help. And I think, from a noble person, what a humble response. Regardless of the context, if this question is presented to you, you are, begin, you are given an invitation. Walk through that door. For some of you, my introverted friends, I love you. It might be hard. But remember, I think God has you there in his providence to meet a need, a spiritual need of an individual. i got to tell you one other story because it is a real-life example of what we read in Acts 8. This story reminds me of a recent trip I took uh, to Philadelphia. When I arrived, I had, I had to take an Uber from the airport to like where I was, I was going. When it comes to Uber drivers, and I've been in plenty of cars, um, Uber cars, uh, you never know what you're going to get, right? You don't know who's driving. Some like to talk. Some like want to rather listen to the radio and hope you don't talk. So when the introverted Uber driver gets me, and I'm always sitting in shotgun, I'm sure they're thinking, why aren't you sitting in the back seat? I just want to listen to my radio and get you to where you need to go. 
Well, as it happens, um, this particular Uber driver was an extrovert, so I'm like, all right, let's talk. At one point during our drive, she asked me why I was in town, what's my profession, things like that. And I told her I'm a pastor. That's what I do. And man, that led to a plethora of questions about how to interpret the Bible. Man, it was just like a floodgate move, moved wide open. Hey, I've been going through Revelation. Not a Christian. I've been going through Revelation trying to figure this out. What's your answer? Jesus. Hey, what about Leviticus here? Jesus. What about Daniel? Jesus. Just led to a conversation where we just opened up God's word and showed her Christ. And then after the ride, she took me to my destination. Just prayed. I prayed for her soul, that God would save her. As it pertains to the eunuch, his question comes from a a longing to know the truth. He's admitting that he doesn't have it all figured out. And we can learn from this Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, this guy was well off. He was traveling with an entourage of folks who were there to serve him. He is supposed to be the one with all the answers, and yet he humbly admits he does not know how to interpret what he's reading. He asks for help. In our internet age, where answers come within moments of a Google search, people are are less prone to ask for help, right? Uh, On the one hand, access to all this information in a matter of moments is really good, right? Um, I've I've used YouTube so many times to figure out how to butcher our chickens and ducks and fix the car. Right, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Heck, after church, you can Google, how do I read my Bible? And you're going to receive suggestions. And with that said, there's something special and unique about one person being intentional with another person when it comes to sharing the gospel. There's something different going on that cannot be answered by an internet search. The question is being asked because the Holy Spirit is at work and God used another individual, not Google. I'm not saying God can't use those things, but I think there's something unique going on here. The search for answers is out of a genuine desire to understand God. His question isn't merely intellectual, but it comes from the heart. The eunuch's question is not a demonstration of weakness, but it is a display of humility and it's a humble heart that seeks and finds answers to important questions. When Philip approached the chariot, he sees the Ethiopian, Ethiopian laboring over this passage from Isaiah, right? Here it is, quoted in Acts. Like a sheep, he's led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So if you've been at Redemption Hill Church for longer than a cup of coffee, you know we use that text during the Lord's table. We don't read it from Acts, but we go right to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is often read. Many of us see the obvious interpretation, right? Um, especially since it is used as our communion text, but do not assume that someone else who reads this passage knows how to understand this passage. It just, this is just coming to mind right now. I remember one time I was at Applebee's in Minnesota with my to-be wife, and her best friend was there, another person I didn't know, and we are talking about the Bible, and I said, what about Isaiah 53? He's like, that's not about Jesus. So he went out and got his Bible. He's like, I don't see Jesus in this text. Don't assume he, a person can see that. 
The Ethiopian eunuch couldn't see that. He was confused. He needed help. As a Jew, he probably was told how to understand this passage. So why all of a sudden the struggle? Again, the Holy Spirit was at work. And when the Holy Spirit begins to move the needle in the soul of an individual, these different questions are pondered. So here's the third question which the eunuch asks of Philip. Regarding Isaiah 53, he asks, About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Another noble question. The Holy Spirit used this question to help him see Christ in the Bible. I will go one step further and say, the Holy Spirit is the prerequisite to rightly understanding the Bible, especially the Old Testament. There are a lot of universities with scholars who can read biblical Greek and Hebrew who do not know Jesus. Who do not have the Holy Spirit and who cannot rightly interpret the text. So what's the nature of this particular question from the eunuch? When the prophet Isaiah penned chapter 53 of the book, named after him, he, Isaiah, did he have himself in view or someone else in view, namely Jesus? In other words, who is the suffering servant in Isaiah 53? That's the question. Philip's response is instructive. And beginning with this scripture, he started there, started right where the question originated. He told him the good news about Jesus. So there are a couple takeaways from verse 35. First, Philip went back to the Bible to provide clarity to the question. Verse 35 isn't like a show-stopping verse when you read it in your devotions or or if you're in a Bible study, right? But it does tell us about the preeminence of Scripture in answering the question, who is God? What do we do with this? I, I know, as Christians, there are philosophical or metaphysical ways to talk about God. I love the fact that design and creation points to an intelligent deity at work in the creation. The world was not created by chance, but there is an intelligent designer. I appreciate fields of Christian apologetics which wrestle with and defend difficult questions with distinctly Christian answers. I love all of that. But if you're looking for real answers to hard questions, the Bible is the first place we can go. We begin with the scriptures. That's what Philip did. All those other fields are fine. We use them. I use them all the time. Philip went right back to the Bible. The second point from verse 35 is that Isaiah, um, excuse me, Philip says Isaiah 53 is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 is about Jesus before his incarnation. It is about Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. It is about Jesus Christ at his crucifixion. It is about Jesus Christ at his resurrection. And it continues to be about Jesus Christ. The theme that the Old Testament is about Jesus just kind of keeps popping up throughout the book of Acts. And now we see Philip having a personal Bible study where he is teaching Jesus from the Old Testament. Now that can instruct us personally in our own devotions, but also in how we share it with others. 
And so what happened to the Ethiopian eunuch? Well, he began to see it as well, right? He saw the good news of Jesus Christ, and he was saved. He was saved through faith in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. He was saved because he believed Jesus is the Son of God. There was something helpful about seeing the personal engagement of Philip. I grant, unless you are a pastor or minister, it's hard to enter into the world of Peter when he preached, Stephen when he preached right before he died, and Philip when he preached in Samaria, right? And then later we'll see in Acts, Paul, after he gets saved, he's preaching everywhere. Sometimes it might be hard to put yourself in their spot because they're preachers. It'd It'd be like me trying to relate to NASCAR drivers, right? I drive a car, I grant, but I'm going to probably kill myself if I become a NASCAR driver. I don't get it. I don't know the lingo. However, Philip's interaction with the Ethiopian is accessible to us all, to everyone here, everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. We all, regardless if you've been a Christian for one day or 40 years, can sit down with your Bible and talk about Jesus with a friend or stranger. You do not need a seminary degree to open up the Bible and talk about Jesus. You don't need to speak Christianese. I prefer you don't speak Christianese when trying to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody. Here's what you have. You've been created in God's image. You are in Christ, which means the Holy Spirit is in you. You have God's word And you add a deep love to reach others with the gospel, and you are all set to go. You don't need to take an evangelism course. The Spirit's at work in you right now, and He's given you, God has given you His Word. There's nothing else you need. We all can be Philip. Think about all the people you encounter between each Sunday. God wants to use you to be their Philip. After the eunuch professed faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the final and fourth question is asked. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Depending on which translation of the Bible you're reading, the next verse the, one that pre- the next verse might be left out of your Bible. However, the translations, um, some translations maintain verse 37 and kind of put a caveat on it. Uh, whatever the case, here's what's being said, and I'm going to take this from the NASB. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. You may be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It does not matter what side of the debate a person falls on regarding verse 37. The point remains. The Ethiopian eunuch was saved. He professed faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Now he is going to take the next step of obedience and become baptized. There are a couple more verses from this passage. And he commanded the chariot to stop. So the It's like, ah, there's water. Pause. Stop right here. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. And when they had come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, 
which by the way, I don't know what that means, so I'm not going to address it. <laughs> what is going on there? And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So, once the opportunity presented itself, the Ethiopian was baptized. Now, there is some debate between our Pado baptist friends and Credo-Baptists um, about what's going on here, right? It was like, was he completely dunked under water or was he sprinkled? Was he put a little water over I don't, I don't know. I tend to think that he was completely immersed, and that's sticking with a literal translation of the scriptures and the way kind of the Greek worked itself out. Regardless, the question misses actually the point. This man confessed Christ as the Son of God and then was immediately baptized. He was not baptized and then confessed faith. There's a beauty and simplicity of how the gospel saves a person and how that person expresses the gospel through the waters of baptism. So I'll take a moment to make one plug. In the near future, at Redemption Hill Church, I'm going to be providing some context for people to get baptized. If you haven't been baptized but have made a profession of faith, I want to provide an opportunity for you to publicly declare Christ. Also, if you've been baptized as an infant, this was the case with me, right? Grew up Catholic, got the water thing over me, you know? And then I became a Christian. And then I decided, well, this is what I believe Scripture says, so I'm going I'm to get baptized. If you're in that category, it's an opportunity for you to pray and be like, you know, is this, this is where the Holy Spirit's leading me. So if you have questions about that, you can find me. But that's kind of the end of my plug. I think it's appropriate just to put that in right here. Because we believe that baptism, along with the Lord's table, is a holy sacrament that we get to celebrate as a church family. The last verse of Acts 8 is similar to how the apostles left Samaria in Acts 8.25. Philip headed toward another town, and between point A and point B, he preached to every living soul. Verse 40. I emphasized that point last week. For this morning, I want to end by telling you about what I think is an interesting historical fact which should embolden our evangelism. After God used Philip to share the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch, the eunuch continued on to northern Africa. He went home, right? Now, in our generation, northern Africa is predominantly Muslim. But did you know that in the centuries following the story we read in Acts 8 and other Christian activity that began to take place, that northern Africa was predominantly Christian for about seven centuries. Some of our best theologians and pastors come from northern Africa. I get Augustine, you're right, Tertullian, Origen, Cyril, Athanasius. I get geeked out by this. I know we might not. It's okay, but I'm like, hey, these are my guys. And they all hail from North Africa. Point is this. You never know how God will use a scattered gospel seed. Philip had no idea how his personal interaction and evangelism was going to manifest itself days, weeks, months, years, centuries later. A simple conversation with this noble man who was asking a noble question was part of a spark that spread the gospel like wildfire. And like Philip, 
we have been given everything we need to share the gospel with our communities. We have been equipped with the Holy Spirit and with the Word to help answer the question, Who is 